Work, wealth, wisdom. This is DC Entrepreneur. We're sharing stories, ideas, and lessons from startups and businesses in the pursuit of innovation. And we're helping build a community of problem solvers and thought leaders in the Washington area. Now, here's your host, George Mocharco. Welcome, this is George Macharco here on WERA 96.7 FM with Wayne Manigo. Wayne is a comic legend in the Washington, D.C. area. He's hosted uh, numerous comedy events in Washington, D.C. He is the co-creator of the D.C. Comedy Writers Group, and he's here with us today in studio. Welcome. Hey, thank you, Joe. Thanks for having me. Certainly, it's, it's a pleasure to have you. So now we've known each other going back for, what, some 10 years or so? Yeah, about a decade. Yep, It's, yep, it's yep. almost been about a decade. And, uh, you know, I, I've known Wayne here as part of the DC nightlife scene. and uh, <laughs> the, the social ambassador, if you will. <laughs> social ambassador is a good title for it, I, I think. Um, when you were working for On Tap as a writer. Yeah, that's correct. Actually, when I moved to D.C., I actually learned the D.C. nightlife by writing for On Tap magazine. Yeah, and mm. and it's a publication that's still around in surrounding bars. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, they're super popular as ever. I love them to death. And um, I, I think that's really what paved your way for, for going into uh, your career as part of the nightlife scene, correct? Oh, yeah, agreed. I mean, honestly, when I started doing the On Tap stuff, I didn't know I was going to become a writer. I was just brand new to D.C., had just moved here. And I'm like, hey, guess what? I can learn more about this scene by hanging out with other people. And then I'm like, wait, and now I can document and write about what I'm doing. And it became to the point where uh, at a certain time, I actually had five columns running simultaneously and on tap. It was like bartender of the month, getaways, Wayne's happy hour world. I even forget what the other two were. But it was just me hanging out, meeting people, loving them, and documenting those experiences. A great time. And so um, being part of that, uh, you were exposed to the many different facets of, of the nightlife scene. Uh, how did you end up paving a way for yourself in the comedy world? <laughs> it's kind of ironic as you asked that. I'm glad you did. So one day we had like a cooking event going on at my house. And it was Easter Sunday. We had the guys from Meet in Philly come down. And, you know, we had this thing where we were just doing jokes and cracking all night long. But we were also taping it. Someone stepped up and said, hey, Wayne. You should be a comedian. And uh, I talked to Ray Bradley at the time because Ray was also there. He was like my co-chef at that event. And Ray's like, yeah, I can show you how to punch up some jokes. And the first time I went on stage, I, you know, the average comic gets five minutes. And usually you don't have that much material. Thanks to Ray's help, I had like 10 minutes. And this bar, this was uh, Palace of Wonders on 8th Street Northeast. They are, they're not, they're not around anymore. Sorry about that. But they gave me like all the time I wanted. I brought like 30 people and we just got so hyped about it. It's like, whoa, Wayne could be funny. (laughs) So did you start with the open mic scene or was it just something that you had material already prepared and you're ready to go? No, open mic scene. I had no idea. I mean, I've, I've been funny all my life. It's, you know, here's the thing about being funny. You have to know where to direct it and where to take it with an audience. I knew I was funny, but could I be funny for five minutes for, you know, a bunch of people drinking in a bar? That's the challenge. And I had that. I'm like, oh, done. And thanks to Raymond, he actually showed me, you know, in the beginning, how to set up your joke structure. Because jokes is pretty much set up, punch. Now, how you do that, it's up to you. And then if you think it's funny, finding that audience. So, yeah, going in, it was it wasn't challenging because I had nothing to lose. It's like, hey, I'm going to go up on stage and, oops, here we go. If I fail, I fail. But it turned out to be pretty interesting. And um, I, I learned the hard way 
uh, the second time I went on stage. Because the first time I'm thinking, okay, now I've got all this confidence. Here I go, yeah. So I got a little stupid. I got a little drunk. I started heckling the comics. And uh, Seton Smith pulled me off. And he goes, dude, what are you doing? You're one of us. And my first thought was like, wow, he called me a comic. I'm one of them. And it's like, oh. I just messed up. And it took me months to like yeah. uh, kind of apologize to all the comics because here's the thing. When you're in the open mic scene, you can be hit or miss, come and go. I've seen like a, done, a ton of people come and go. You never know who's still going to be around and who's relevant. Um, but And some of the comics that you know I did heckle, they're still very relevant. I'm glad we made up. <laughs> so, so I got to ask you, Wayne, I mean, what makes the DC comic scene different than other cities? Los Angeles, New York. I mean, b- besides the fact that those are kind of famed cities for comedic talent what what makes this city unique for comedy um the beauty of that question first i'm going to address you in the first half so you got like new york and la new york is where people go where they want to get famous for being a comedian la is where they go when they want to take that comedic talent to a new level because all of the studios are out in la so if you want like to get your own tv show yada yada boom you go to la if you just want to learn how to be a better comedian you're in an environment in New York where you're competing with all these other comedians. So you have to fight for time. And every time you get up, you better be good. What's good for D.C., and I learned this from Tom Dreesen. Tom Dreesen used to be with uh, uh, Tim Reed. They've done, like, a bunch of work. Tom taught me that in order to get good, get good where you are first. Because the minute you leave your town, you don't, you no longer have that home team advantage. Everyone's going to be competing against you, but in your hometown – you still got people who can work with you. So um, a couple of years ago, we actually had an article we wrote called The State of D.C. Comedy. It was in the Georgetown Voice. And what we did at that time was we addressed everything that was wrong with what's in our local D.C. comedy scene. And basically what we addressed was, you know, we got like the open mic scene and then you got places like the D.C. Improv. But not a lot of places in between where comics can grow. So over the last couple of years, like the DC Improv started having like their open mic shows and they're starting to host an audition and see what the local talent looks like. And a lot of the local uh, comedians have become bookers and started booking their own shows. So now they're working with the public to show them that this is the talent that we have. And because we're in DC, it's a spot where it's so smooth, so small, so congested that you have to find out who we are because we're so talented, it's going to explode. We're going to show people that, hey, we're funny. We're here. And it seems like DC is primed for that kind of growth, too, just with all the development that's happened. All the people moving into the city and just the cranes that you see littering the skies. Do do you think there's any kind of type of uh, humor that plays best to crowds in DC? I'm going to say no. And the reason I say that is because people are people. So they're pretty much focused on, you know, their feelings, their emotions, what's going on in their lives. Yeah, they might look at the outside world and go, wow, all this is happening. But in order to get somebody to laugh, truly laugh, when you get the belly laugh where they feel it, you have to touch them internally. So if you're going to be funny, write jokes and topics about things that people will go, I can really relate to that. And here's why. Do you hate your boss? Here's why. Do you have a bad relationship? Here's why. It's got to be things like, you know, there's a, you know observation humor like what Seinfeld does it's good but again it doesn't touch the soul it has to hurt you as a comic and as a comic you have to teach people okay this is what hurts me but I made this funny can you laugh at that and like Kevin Hart had a series uh, laugh at my pain that's exactly what it is take something that hurts twist it then share it so I think you've hinted at something really interesting here which is the creative process of transforming uh, emotions into their art 
Uh, can you talk to me about what kind of inner process you go through when you're writing your material? I cry a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was exaggerating. No, I do. Um, I'll give you a perfect example. So one day I'm hanging out, at, you know, I'm working at a bar. Um, I'm working the door and my ex-girlfriend walked out and she walked out with her new boyfriend. And I, you know, I, I know them both. I'm sitting there going, they didn't say hi. This is rude. So rather than get mad, rather than get angry, I wrote in my notebook because I always keep a journal. Every comic must keep a journal. And I wrote for like an hour and a half just of like how it made me feel so crappy. I'm like, you know what? All right. You're going into the act. You don't even know it yet. <laughs> so after an hour and a half of writing, I want to make sure that I, I don't want to be like the bad guy in my joke in my own scenario. So the joke that I ended up with. So um, I saw my uh, ex-girlfriend the other day and uh, she was with a new man. Ah, this is so painful. You don't even know, guys. I can see that she let her standards go. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of funny. Yeah. But no, so for me, the joke process is always like you have to write everything first. Like have a daily dump. Um, The Fat Doctor. Fat Doctor is a comedy legend in D.C. I mean, he works with everyone from like Martin to you name it. If it's from D.C. comedy, the Fat Doctor had a, a bit of involvement, if you will. And he taught us that, you know, a comedy writer, in order to be a comedy writer, first you have to learn to become a writer. And it took me a year to learn what that meant. I'm like, wait a minute, because if I'm just writing stuff, like if you're sitting there trying to just write to be funny, it's a bit of a struggle. But if you're just dumping your thoughts on paper and then going back and analyzing them and going, hey, you know what? Maybe I could make a joke out of this. That's what makes the difference. You have to find what's funny, but you have to be willing to share what hurts first. Let's go to your comedy writers group uh, that you're a co-founder of. Talk to me about how you began to form that group and, you know, what kind of results you've created from having this group in the D.C. area. You know, Mandy and I um, met uh, way back in one of the open mics. In fact, we met at the open mic at Recessions on 19th and L. And, you know, she would come to a couple of meetings. It was hosted by me and old Mike B. And one day, I think it was our third or fourth meeting. She always had this notebook and she was writing stuff down. And I walked up one day and I'm like, uh, excuse me, miss, are you a joke thief? Why are you writing all this down? <laughs> and she explained, no, I'm hearing some of the jokes. And I think that uh, I can add some text to some of the comics. And the more we got to talk and learn, we discovered that we have a lot of writing groups in the area, but we didn't have one specifically dedicated to comedy. So we said, you know what, let's kind of start this out. And what we did, we started at Duffy's down on uh, Vermont Ave. Uh, then one summer, Duffy's decided they were going to close on Monday nights because we meet every Monday, 8.30 to 10.30. And so we went to Bella Cafe, which was a block away. Then Bella got sold. Then we moved to, like, another spot. And then finally we got to where we were at Judy's Restaurant on um, uh, 2212 14th Street Northwest. And every Monday, the format is we start with an icebreaker, then we do like one or two writing exercises. And then if people want to workshop material, get feedback and ideas of whatever they've been working on, that's what we reserve that time for. And even though our scheduled work time is from 830 to 1030, dude, we've been known to shut it down. It's like, last call. Is it 2 o'clock already? How this happen? And, you know, we've been around for like five years now. And we started from like just six members in the back of Duffy's to having over 1,800 members right now. Wow, that's a lot of folks. What is the typical profile of someone that shows up to a comedy writer's group? I wish I could. <laughs> but um, our audience varies a lot. You know, a lot of people find us on either the meetup group or they read the website. Um, when we started initially, we had it geared towards comedians. We're like, hey, guys, here's a safe place where you can just, you know, work with anything and just throw it out there. But we've learned over the years that it's just people who want to learn more about being funny. 
and finding that courage by being in a group of supporting people. That's that's it. So, I mean, we never know who's going to walk through the door. We um, I made it a point as of uh, this year that I kind of do like write ups of all of our meetings. And when people read the write ups, they're like, oh, wow, I missed that. Why was that? Because there's just a lot of interesting things. And I think what makes it most interesting is because it's not just stand up comedians. It's just a bunch of people who want to learn how to be funny on a different level. So you mentioned earlier joke thieves. Do you find that joke thieves show up to these comedy writing groups? No. No. <laughs> I don't no, I, you. <laughs> no, 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 they, they don't. But uh, no, yeah. it's kind of funny because I got a joke theft story, if you will. It wasn't a joke Please, theft. Go into it, yeah. Okay. Well, what happens? We explain how, you know, we exchange a lot of material. But let's say, like, you and I writing and you say something funny about my bit. And I'm like, hey, dude, that was funny. Can I have that? And you say, yes. Now it's a part of my bit. Apparently, there was one night where someone gave me a bit and then decided to take it back. And I didn't know it. So they were on stage before I got to this particular comedy venue. They were off stage. I walked in at the last minute. And they're like, oh, Wayne, come on, man. We got to have you on stage. Fine. All right, we'll do it. And as I started going to my bid, the audience, I kid you not, the audience went, we just heard that joke. What? From that guy. And they pointed to the guy in my writer's group. <laughs> and I'm like, but he gave me this joke. We wrote it together. And I ended up like spending more time explaining to the audience how the group works and how that should not have happened. And I don't think it's happened since. But, yeah, we don't have people who come in and intentionally steal jokes. But, yeah, we have had a we have to make it a point like, hey, if you give me this, it's mine. Leave it alone. You said, yes, this is my joke now. I, I think we've touched upon something that also faces many other entrepreneurs, which is, you know, whenever they come up with a, a startup idea or any kind of innovation, they worry about getting it tested out there by people and uh, possibly having you know their intellectual property taken. Um, it seems like there's kind of like a code of uh, conduct in the comedy world. I know, among thieves. Yeah. <laughs> the entertainment industry is really small, really limited. If you screw up, you screw up big time because there's a lot of people that work in this industry and there's a lot of people that are connected in this industry. So like, if um, if you're working with somebody and they don't like you, they start getting the word about, hey, you did this, you did that. You can screw your reputation over faster than the New York Minute. So now you, you've created this DC comedy, comedy writers group. And I love them all, each and every member. <laughs> all 18. I write them daily. So you've clearly created uh, a collaborative atmosphere among writers here. Uh, can you talk to me about like what other um, entrepreneurial pursuits you've been involved with for the past couple of years? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things I came up with was uh, the idea of saying, if I can make the DC Comedy Writers Group last five years, I got something that I can market and sell. And this goes back to like being um, a marketing slash executive slash whatever you want to call of what I do with the group. But it started as a vision. And I thought, you know, from that vision, we can take it and sell it. So like we keep the meetings free. All meetings are always free. And the reason we did this because we want people to be able to come back. But by doing that, you start building that brand and that loyalty, and then from there, you can go forward. So my goal was, you know what? I, although I love stand-up, I really want to become a professional speaker, and there's a huge difference in salary between the two. But by having a brand that I can build, and that was with the DC Comedy Writers, and showing people that, hey, guess what? This is what we do out of love. If you love it, hey, tell a friend, tell it too. It just becomes like a word of mouth marketing that you can't you, you couldn't pay for that kind of advertising because people will vouch for you. They're pretty much saying, hey, I know Wayne. Or I've heard of Wayne. He's funny. You should hire him for this reason. 
So one of the things I did was I became a, um, a member of the National Speakers Association. I attended their conference that they had in D.C. last year. I'm on their Facebook group. And I just learned what they were doing to get to that next level. So it's like, wait, now I got a bunch of peers. I got a bunch of people, mentors. And, you know, you can pick a mentor. Here's the key by getting a mentor. You don't have to ask them. You can just kind of go, hey, you know what? I'm going to tell them for a couple of years, and then I'm going to ask them eventually if they'll mentor me. But when you have, whenever you ask for someone to mentor you, you have to be prepared for that. By working with the National Speakers Association, I met a dozen. I mean, I'm, do, I'm still catching up with the people that I met, and this was last year. But they became my Facebook friends. They're showing me the way to go, and they're saying, hey, you know what? If you want to take your humor and make it into a business, this is how you do it. So I was fortunate for that. And then how have you been able to parlay your career from being a comedian and then translate that experience over to being a public speaker? Like what what has been the similarity in, in kind of those different? I mean, there's obviously different audiences that you're playing to, but how do you translate that experience into uh, public speaking life? Uh, I think the key here is you have to know your audience because, I mean, I've done a variety of shows. Like I've done shows that like, um, let's say I'm at like uh, some benefit out in Pennsylvania and there's like 350 people and they're just like out in the sticks. So you got like the sticks kind of humor. Then I did shows at like golf resorts. And then it's like that. Oh, my gosh. Everyone here is rich because they're a member of the golf resort. <laughs> but being able to make people laugh at both levels, you have to understand that. So there's a lot of trial and error you have to go to, and you know, learning your audience and making them laugh at both levels. And, you know, public speaking obviously means that you're going to be going for like depends on what your topic is and what you're trying to do. Like I'll be a motivational speaker because obviously I'm funny. Um, <laughs> but getting to that point where like you can bring people in and make them all feel comfortable and welcome and leave them with a message and a desire to do things. And if you can inject humor while you're doing that, that's when you know you've got a winner. Now, you've also transitioned your career from being an IT professional into being a comedian. Can you talk to me about career reinvention how you've gone about reinventing your career yeah there's a book that i read a couple of years back by pamela mitchell it was called the 10 laws of career reinvention and in her book she pretty much lays out a blueprint of what people need to do to go from point a to point b and one of the things i love well actually there's two points i love one she definitely highlights and illustrates that you're going to go through some peaks and valleys if you can't work your way through the valley you're never going to get that dream career that you want. It, it just won't be done. Um, and I love how she documented because she explained like she had a Ph.D., but she was working at like some photocopy shop while she was building her company. And it's like you got a Ph.D. and you're getting paid eight bucks an hour. I think that's minimum wage. I don't know what it is. Um, but the other thing I love about this book is also she put together a formula where she goes, you know what? In order to make this happen, you need a series of people who you can rely on. Who are your drill sergeants? Who are your feel-good people? Who are your mentors? Who are the people that work in your industry? And she laid it out. And what I did was I actually went back after reading her book. And, you know, most people have a vision board. I took my vision board, laid out a program on how I'm going to work in comedy, how I can be profitable, marketable, and most importantly, still happy. Because it's the entertainment business. I'm not. Ex I'm not exaggerating. It's a pain. It's so painful. So you have to have ways to through deal with the pain as you continue to develop what you want. Now, being a comedian in the DC area has led to some interesting opportunities for you. Um, you actually sent me a clip that you uh, had worked on with a promo video for the 9:30 Club. Uh, you've done some work as a production assistant on the TV show Veep. Yeah. 
Uh, can you talk to me about your experiences working in the entertainment world? Absolutely not. That's confidential. <laughs> okay, next question. <laughs> no, well, it was kind of funny. I love the fact that um, when the opportunity for Veep came up, they pretty much put it up on um, the DCTV. Um, there was a bunch of other uh, local media outlets. Long story short, they wanted to have three people work on the set of Veep. 800 people applied. Three got accepted. I was one of the three. So for the 14 days that they shot their scenes in D.C., we were pretty much on the set every day working as production assistants. Um, we got to meet the whole cast and crew. They were wonderful. They were fabulous. God, I love Julia Louise Dreyfus. She's like the nicest person on the planet. But too skinny. She needs to eat. She's too skinny. <laughs> but she was just fabulous. And so after that, what we did was um, we all stayed in contact with each other after our 14 days were over. And um, Kiana Brown had the opportunity to work with a project for the 930 Club. And, you know, 930 now has a show that they're publicizing on um, on PBS. Oh, is this the history show that they just had? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So she had the opportunity to work with them. And she's like, hey, guys, I'm putting together this group because we're going to shoot a video. You guys want to be involved. And the three of us that met on the set of V, yeah, we're still friends. We're like, yeah, we're in. We're still in. So that's going to be airing, uh, I believe, if not this month, next month. But it's just one of those things where you never know. Like, if you put yourself out there, you have to take risks. I took a risk by applying for the Veep thing because I thought, I've never worked on a TV show. I mean, we've had, like, some small stuff. We, did, we shot a video for CNN last year uh, for the Correspondence Dinner. And, we, you know, as a comedy writers group, we've done some small things. So that was just a leap of faith, and it worked out. And it worked out more because now I've got, like, a group of friends that I'm like, hey, guess what? I can work with these guys now. So you find your collaborators and uh, people to work on project with through yeah. these kind of outfit uh, absolutely outlets. yeah yeah that's cool and, and so um, talk to me about um, how you've worked with Stage Time magazine to help promote your career. Stage Time was a blessing in disguise. I didn't even see it coming. So what happened was initially I'm like, wait, who's the Stage Time? And when I learned that they were a, 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 a force that's just dedicated to comedy, I love that. I'm like, okay, I'm in. So uh, I emailed the editor, and she asked me if I wanted to um, write my own column. And, you know, as a new writer, I didn't know where I was going with it. But the blessing in disguise with that was, I, as you start out, you know nothing. And I thought, well, hey, why don't I ask other people? So when I started reaching out to people for interviews, it was like, hello, I write for this magazine. Would you like me to interview you on Boom? So I was kind of picking their brain and getting my comedy education that way. And now we've been doing it for like three years and now it's like really well known. The columns highly visited. I get like, dude, there are times I Google myself and find that people have taken my stage time column and put it on their website. That's when I knew I was making a difference. I mean, and I don't mind it because they give me the credit. But the fact that I've touched that many lives through comedy and you, you, there is no you know, people go to comedy classes. You go to like four classes and then a showcase and then you're done. What I've been able to do with Stage Time magazine is document what it takes to become a working comedian. Talk to me about, I, I know in the past couple of years, uh, the Washington Post just did a feature article on you, and uh, they talked about um, your transition to the comedy world, but also how you kind of had some personal tragedies there. Can you talk to me about kind of your, your personal revelations through that, that trying time that you went through? Oh, yeah, 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 no doubt. Um, at one point, you know, I'm, I'm, I think when the Post uh, came out with that article, I just um, stopped living in my car. I mean, I was homeless for a year. And during that year, I remember that first night when I decided, all right, I really want to learn how to do this comedy thing. Can I make it real? Can I make this happen? 
And when people say follow your dream, I don't think they realize that dream hurts. <laughs> and so uh, I think I was on my third or fourth night when I decided to live in my car because I was kind of making just enough money to get by. I could pay the car insurance. I could pay the phone bill. But I wasn't making enough money to pay rent because, I mean, uh, you, unless you understand the business of comedy and how much you expect to get paid, don't do this unless you know the full the, the full circle, if you will. Um, so I was in my car like that third or fourth night. And I remember calling up uh, my friend Kevin Lee and I said, hey, Kevin, I just decided to live in my car so I could pursue my comedy dream. And Kevin said, welcome to comedy. You're going to do <laughs> oh, a <man>. lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wayne, man, thanks so much for dropping by the studio today. It's been a pleasure to have you. And, uh, thank uh, you for having me. This has been a blast. Wayne, thanks so much again. Just thanks for having me. Subscribe to this podcast via iTunes and connect with us on our blog, dc-entrepreneur.com. If you have any tips or ideas for stories, please tweet at us or message us on Facebook. Please tune in to our next episode, and thanks for listening.